Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This evening we're going to continue our study on receiving from God. This is lesson three and just a few thoughts about what, we took, uh, what, what took place and what we talked about previously in a short review. James chapter 1 is our main text that we've been using, and this is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Just to give us a little bit more insight, uh, that's why we're using this particular translation. It says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, of course I would say that's all of us, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and that's wonderful to know. Well, it'll be given him if he asks, but let him ask how? In faith, nothing wavering or without doubting for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind that person now notice this should not expect to receive anything from the Lord and it doesn't say that God wouldn't give but he shouldn't expect to receive anything of the Lord why an indecisive man is unstable in all of his ways we've been emphasizing the fact that God does not have to become a better giver. He's the perfect giver. He gives every good and perfect gift from above that comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variable, it's neither shadow of turning. It's not about the giver. It's about the receiver. He's perfect, we're imperfect. He can't make a mistake, we can't. So we've been saying that we've got to become better receivers of the things that God has given us or provided for us in Christ, in His finished work. Well, to give us some helps along the way, we share these truths. If we want to be more effective in receiving from God, here are some of the helps we talked about. Number one, be decisive. Decide what you want from God, whether it's healing, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's strength to accomplish a, a purpose. Whatever it is, decide what you want from God. Number two, find scriptures that support what you're believing for. Scriptures that promise you the answer. All the promises of God are yea in Him, and the amen is given by us. If I don't know what His promise is, I can't really have the kind of faith I need to receive from God. Remember, God made a promise to Noah, and He has to honor that promise. He cannot lie and not do what He said. And so faith, then, is understood. God can't lie, so I can trust Him to do what he said he would do. Well, what did he say he would do? He promised he would forgive me if I confessed my sins. So what do I do? I believe that. I find the scripture. I base my faith on that. And then number three, I'm supposed to ask. I'm asking him for what he's promised me. So if he promised me forgiveness, I can ask him for it. And if I ask according to his will, which obviously it is his will because he wants me to be forgiven, then I can believe the next step is that I receive it. So I believe I receive forgiveness. I may not feel forgiven, but I am forgiven. And then, of course, along comes the enemy to produce doubt and unbelief to make me think, well, you're not really forgiven. You don't feel forgiven. How could he forgive that terrible thing that you did? Well, 
Thank God for the precious blood of Jesus. Because we can cast down those thoughts and imaginations knowing that the blood of Jesus can wash us clean from all sin. And not only does he forgive us of the sin, but also we are told in 1 John 1, 9, that whatever punishment do us because of the sin, it's also eradicated. So thank God for that. So we stand against doubt and unbelief by quoting the word of God like Jesus did by saying, it is written, I am forgiven, thank God. We continue meditating in the scriptures because we know he's going to come again at another time to try to provide a counterattack and make us think that we're still not forgiven, but we know his tactics. And so we meditate in the word of God. And then finally, we praise him. We thank him. And I believe the more we praise and thank him, the more of a reality it becomes. We have received it. I know I have it. I am praising you. As the Bible says in Psalm 118, verse 21, I will praise thee. Why? Because you have heard me and you have become my salvation. Whether I see it yet or not, you've become my salvation. And so I'm thanking you that I have received it. And that's important to understand and to know. Now, we then talked about Naaman and his example in the scriptures and what it teaches us. We have learned from this that God can will something for a person's life. And God can give instructions as to how that person can receive. In other words, this is what you ought to do if you want to receive what I've promised you. But also in the life of name, we've discovered this. We're not going to receive it if we don't follow the instructions. If we don't do what God has told us to do. Naaman in the beginning did not do what God told him to do by the prophet Elisha and his servant. He got angry because it wasn't the way he thought it should be done. And we can all relate to that. It should have been done this way. Lord, you should have done it that way. Well, we, we're not God. He knows better than we do. Our part is to believe. His part is to make it a reality. So if you really think about it, his part's harder than our part. I'm just to believe I received my miracle. He's the one that's got to make it happen. Well, we also learned something else from Naaman. There may be certain things that have to be dealt with in our lives. In other words, that we have to adjust in order to position ourselves to experience the reality that we're looking for. Naaman, we understand, was full of pride and arrogance. And God had to deal with that before he could be in a position to receive. As he walked away from his miracle, his servants made a statement to him. If God asked you to do something great or the prophet asked you to do something great, would you not have done it? And he thought about it and said, yeah. And so what happened was all that pride was stripped away. One dip at a time, seven times in the River Jordan, one layer of pride stripped away. And when it was all gone, he was the perfect conduit to receive. The miracle that he looked for. And he was instantly made whole. Sometimes I think we want it so quickly that we forget about maybe some things that have to be adjusted in our lives. To be in a better position to receive from God. We all have to deal with doubt, unbelief, and maybe even some attitudes that might exist. I, in situ one situation, a woman was full of bitterness and it stopped her from receiving a creative miracle until it was pointed out. When it was pointed out, she made an adjustment in her life. And she got rid of the bitterness and got forgiveness and dealt with the situation uh, with the person that she was better toward. As a result, she got a creative miracle in her life. But before that, she wasn't receiving anything from God. So we learn these lessons that it's important that we have to do our part. You know, someone once said it's like playing checkers. If you know how to play checkers and you follow the rule, one person moves and then the next person moves. And after that, the next person moves. Well, 
it goes back to the other person. God made a move when he sent Jesus to die for us and provide for us all that he did in his redemptive work. We make a move by ex accepting him as Savior, receiving him as our healer, and so on. And when we do that in faith, then God moves to make that a reality within our lives. So God is waiting for people to come and receive from him the things he has provided. Now, as we continue our study, look at the book of Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Seeing then, we want to talk about our approach to God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, or more literally, confession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come, not timidly, but boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Just as Naaman was instructed to go to the river and dip seven times, you and I are given instructions as to how to receive from God, how to approach his throne so that we can obtain the things that we're looking for from him. But first, let me just say this. Nothing is more important to any of us than knowing that a strong faith life is the results of having a close, intimate fellowship and walk with God. We're not doing what Naaman did because God didn't tell us to do that. We can't just echo or mimic and copy something someone else does and call that faith. No, we're told what to do as he was told what to do. And we're being told by God to come to the throne to obtain the things that you're looking for because he wants to have a fellowship with us. And so... A close walk with God, rooted in love, is what's going to enable us to receive from God the direction that we need so we know what to do so we can receive our miracle as well. So, it's walking in love, it's knowing the love of God, it's walking in the fullness of the, our redemptive rights, it's knowing the finished work of Christ that enables us to understand God's will for our lives. And so we want to walk close to Him. How? By going to the throne. Now, look at that verse 16 once again. This is where we go. We don't go to Jordan. We go to the throne. This is the throne of God. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it's a throne of grace. And at the throne of grace, we can obtain the things that we need from God. But first, let me just give you an example. We here at Christian Assembly Church offer food to people. We make announcements about it and let people know. We're going to be handing out boxes of food on a certain day, certain time, certain hour. All you have to do is come to the church and you can pick up the box of food that you're looking for. No questions asked other than how many would you like. So if a person comes and they receive that, without question, they are blessed. If a person did not receive a box of food... It would not be because Christian Assembly wasn't giving out food. It would be because they didn't come to receive it. So if a person says, I didn't receive any food and you're giving out food. Well, did you go to the church and get it? Well, no, no, I didn't. Well, the same thing is true here. God wants us to go to the throne, the throne of grace. So we could obtain the things that we're looking for. What is it that we're looking for? Whatever it might be, mercy. Grace, forgiveness, healing, deliverance, help, strength, 
direction, and the list goes on and on. So where do we find what we're looking for? Not at the Jordan. No, at the throne of grace. That's where God wants us to go. Now, the thing about it is this. God's throne can be very intimidating. Look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. And this is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. And I think this is probably what hinders a lot of people from going to the throne to obtain what they're looking for. It was in the year King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, uh, the, uh, the Lord of he heavenly army. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts. Can you imagine that? What a scene. What a scene we see portrayed here. Imagine how he felt. Imagine what he saw, what he heard, and the impact it had upon his life. My goodness, he was so intimidated by being in that place of God's presence because he recognized all of his shortcomings in the presence of a holy God. Of course, we know the story. He bowed down before God, and that was taken care of by an angel who got a coal from off the, the, the sacrifice and, and so on and so forth. But the point is, we too can be intimidated when it comes to going to the throne of grace to obtain something from God. Why? Because we're aware of our shortcomings. We're aware of our faults and maybe our failures along the way. And by the way, in case you didn't know it, the enemy knows them too. And he'll point them out to all of us to make sure that we are full of guilt, condemnation, sin consciousness. Because he wants to make us think that you're not really worthy to be there before the throne of God. Are you kidding me? Look at the kind of life that you've been living. Or look what you did here. Now you need help from God. And the only time you go there is when you need help from God. You might as well just walk away. So a lot of people are intimidated when it comes to going to where they get their need met. And that is the throne of grace. And so it's important we recognize that when we go to the throne, it's not like going to the Jordan. When we go to the throne, we need representation. As a matter of fact, look in uh, Hebrews. Look at this. Chapter 4, 14 to 16 once again. But from the Message Bible, I want you to see this because Jesus is the one who represents every single one of us before the throne. Notice this. Now that we know what we have, Jesus this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing and experienced it all, all but sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. Wow, how plain is that? It's not based on your performance. We don't approach the throne of God based on what we've done or what we didn't do. No, 
we approach the throne based on the performance of our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for us in the shedding of his holy blood, so that we can enter into the holiest place of all with boldness and with confidence, knowing we belong there. Not because of me. I'm not so great, and neither are you. But because of him. In the King James, it says, therefore. Therefore what? Because of what he's done. Come boldly to the throne. In other words, Lord, don't look at me. Don't look at my life, my faults, my failures, my shortcomings. Look at him. He was perfect in every way. And so when I come to stand here before you, I don't want to be intimidated. Because you see, I can be a failure, but he can't. And it's already sealed. It's already done. The blood's already shed. We have a new covenant. So I'm coming based on his work, his performance, all that he did. I belong here before the throne. And I am confident that you will hear me when I petition you and ask you to do something for me. So I can come confidently. I can come boldly. I can come fearlessly because it's not based on me. Praise God. Thank God that the doors open wide and the throne is there before us. And we have access to it, not because of us, but because of him. Now, next, this is called in Hebrews 10, a new and living way. I want you to notice in Hebrews 10 verses 19 and 20, uh, this is the new and living way. Well, why is he saying it's a new and living way? Because the old way was different. The old way wasn't perfect. So Jesus came to fulfill the old way and make a new and living way for us to enter in, not the Jordan River, but the throne of grace. Look at having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. How? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which never was before, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. So now, Jesus is our high priest. He represents us at the right hand of the Father. And he is saying this, look, this new and living way is different from the old way of animal sacrifices whose blood was shed so that Israel's sins could be covered and only the high priest could go there once a year. This is a new and living way. It's a different way. See, the old way involves sacrifices that could never, ever ever give anyone except the high priest access to the throne of God. No one else can go to the throne of God. No one else can be in that place of God's glorious presence except the high priest. Only once a year. That's it. On the day of atonement, he can go in. But that's it. But he had to have blood. There had to be blood for him to get in. Now, those sacrifices could never make a worshiper perfect in, in any way. So therefore... It wasn't fulfilled. As a matter of fact, the Holy Ghost said that as long as the old covenant was in place, we didn't have access to the throne of grace. We had to go by the means through a priest and, and have them make sacrifices for us. Well, the new and living way involves the sacrifice of Christ and the blood that he shed. And the blood that he shed makes the worshipers perfect, unlike animal blood that couldn't do this. Look also in the book of Hebrews and chapter 10 and verse 1. He makes it very clear. The law 
having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never, notice the word never, never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereto perfect. Can't do it. It could never happen. That's why a body was prepared for Jesus because it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to make the right sacrifice to make us perfect. Impossible to happen. But thanks be to God, we don't depend on the old way. We have a new way. A new way that involves a road that's paved with blood. The blood of Jesus Christ gives us access to the throne of God. It's his blood. It's not animal blood. It's not my works. It's his blood, his life, all that he did to lay it down so that we can have access to the throne. It's his life that removed the curtain or the veil that separates us from God. And thank God, now we can enter in. Well, look in Hebrews chapter 10. And let's look at um, verses 11 through 18. Again, this is from the Message Bible. I believe this will bless your heart. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in, year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. Wow. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. I love that, don't you? They caved in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. Wow. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. The Holy Spirit confirms this. This new plan I'm making with Israel is going to be written on paper, isn't going to be written on paper, isn't going to be chiseled. In stone, this time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of their hearts. He concludes, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. Oh my goodness. Isn't that amazing? One sacrifice by the one who's perfect the perfect sacrifice for imperfect people to make them perfect by his sacrifice. What does he mean? What's he talking about? The old way produced guilt, sin consciousness, and condemnation, which made them cower in fear when it comes to approaching God. But the new and living way is far different. No, no. The new and living way produces a guilt-free conscience. Thanks be to God. And I like to say it this way, a spot-free rinse for all of us. We are guilt-free, sin-conscious-free. And if you ever took your car through a car wash and you get to the phase where it says a spot-free rinse, we're spot-free. Not even a spot of sin to our account anymore. Why? Because the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel's. Because the blood of Jesus, praise God, is the perfect sacrifice to make us perfect. So God sees us perfect through the blood of Jesus. What a wonderful thing to know. So you see, we can go to the throne of God and grace 
without sin consciousness or guilt because of who he is and because, he's, because of what he's done. Go on back to that Hebrews 10 verse 19 once again and notice this. The blood is what's paved the way for us. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest. How? Not by our works, but by the blood of Jesus. See, sin is removed from the sight of God and us. Thank God it's removed. And the consciousness of sin that was in our mind is also dealt with by the blood of Jesus. So as a result of his precious blood that was shed for us, we have no more consciousness of sin. We are not walking in there guilt-ridden and basically overburdened with this idea that I'm such a horrible person to stand before the throne of God. As a matter of fact, we see Isaiah saying, I'm undone, I'm undone, I'm, I'm in for it. My goodness, this is over for me. Why? Because he felt so unholy and so guilt-ridden before a holy God. But you and I have a better covenant with better promises. We have the blood of Jesus that has washed us and cleansed us from all sin and sin consciousness so that we can serve the living God free from all that guilt, rid of it all, and be righteous conscious. I am righteous in Christ and so are you. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And so we can boldly walk upon the road that's paved with the blood of Jesus up to the throne of God without guilt, a sense of inferiority, sin consciousness or condemnation. Why? Because we've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Now, how is it then that we are to draw near? Remember, Naaman, go dip seven times in the river and you'll come clean. How is it that we're to draw near to get our requests, get our needs met? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, because he lays it out for us. Now, he's talking about a new covenant. He's talking about a new and living way. He's talking about the blood of Jesus better than the blood of goats and bulls and so on. And he's saying this. Now, because the blood's been shed, the way's been paved, you are perfect in the sight of your Father. Let us draw near. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So let's break it down. What's a true heart? A true heart is a heart that has not just sincerity, but a right attitude toward God and also toward the sacrifice of Jesus. It includes sincerity, but it also includes gladness, enthusiasm, uh, freedom from any kind of guilt, and a heart that desires to worship God. Matter of fact, look in the Psalms, the Psalm 100 and verse 4, what it says. We are told to enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and into his courts with praise. We enter the presence of God. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. Why? Because we are so excited. Remember this. It's not just mustering up some so let's say, type of worship, type of praise before God. We're entering in with enthusiasm and excitement, knowing that we've been washed from our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. I have a true understanding of my position in Christ. I know who I am in Him. I am enthusiastic. 
I have a heart of worship. I have a heart of praise. I am excited beyond words and beyond measure. And I'm walking in knowing that that burden's been lifted off my soul. So I have a right, true heart understanding and attitude toward the sacrifice that Jesus made for me and the effect that it has on my life. And so what's left for me to do? Shout out the praise of Almighty God. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter his, thanks with the, his, his course with thanksgiving in, in your heart and enter his course with praise. I remember one time, you might find this hard to believe, but I remember one time walking into McDonald's. And as I was walking, I actually, I was sitting in my car before I got out. I had this running through my consciousness. Jesus Christ has been made to me. Righteousness. Redemption. I'm free from sin consciousness. And I, I just kept playing that over in my mind. I am free from all that. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Jesus was made for me. And I kept thinking about it. Wisdom, the ability to use knowledge in a way that's going to prosper everything I do. Righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Sanctification. I am set free from the impurities of this world and life. And redemption. I have been redeemed from the curse of the law and everything connected with it. I've been redeemed, purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And I kept pouring over that and pouring over that and pouring over that. All because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's who I am. That's what I embrace. And so I started to walk in the parking lot. I'm thinking this opened up the door and it just really hit me on the inside and I just shouted out, Hallelujah! Right there in the lobby of McDonald's. People looked around, turned around. I was kind of lost into it and kind of unaware of where I was at at the moment because I was just so excited, enthusiastic about shouting out my praise because I see now that I am who I am, not because of what I've done, not because of me being perfect in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but because of Him. And oh, did that impact me in a powerful way. Stop looking at self and thinking I belong here because of what I did right or what I didn't do wrong. No, you belong there because Jesus made it possible for you to be there. He never did anything wrong and he did everything right. And that's why you can go there. And that is who you are. Praise God. So next, you got a true heart. Now you got full assurance of faith. Notice the word. Full assurance of faith. Well, what does that mean? It's unwavering, confident faith. There's no room for any doubt. It's like a child that's walking up to his parent, a father or a mother, with a request, a favor, something that they would like to have. Mom, would you make me a sandwich? Confident, bold, fearless. He knows, she knows that mom's going to make a sandwich. No problem whatsoever. That's called bold, confident faith that we're to have in God. We approach Him like a Father. Heavenly Father, Abba Father, I'm coming into Your throne. I belong here because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm coming to ask You for something in my life. That's how He wants us to go to Him. Approach Him with unwavering faith, no doubt whatsoever. Confident, bold, fearless, knowing that I belong here and my Father wants me to be there with Him. So I have full assurance of faith. I have favor with my father. Thirdly, sprinkled heart and conscience. Full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. Notice in Hebrews chapter 9, 
uh, verses 8 and 9. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Why? Which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to what? To the conscience. You see, we're dealing with the conscience. The blood of bulls could never rid my conscience from sin, consciousness, guilt, inferiority, condemnation, etc. Never. But the blood of Jesus Christ gives peace to a troubled soul or mind. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses our conscience from dead works, thinking that we're unworthy, thinking that we don't belong there. Too often when I hear even preachers sometimes pray and say, I'm so unworthy to be in your presence. Oh, my brother and my sister, don't minimize the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't minimize the work that he did on Calvary's cross in redemption. He became sin to make us righteous, to give us the ability to stand boldly and confidently before our Father at the throne by his blood. And so as a result, you are worthy to be there. He made you worthy to be there. We're all worthy to be there because of the blood that he shed for us. And so it's his blood that does what? Rids the conscience of anything that's impure or unholy. And that's how he wants us to go there. You say, but I can't help it because I have all these thoughts. That's the whole point. Cast them down. Don't let the devil make you think that you're unworthy to, that, to, to be there and that you don't belong there. Absolutely reject that. I know it's hard to do sometimes when you look at yourself in the mirror and you think that I got this flaw, I've got that fault, I failed in this, I failed in that. God doesn't want us to see ourselves that way. He wants us to see ourselves in Christ. He wants us to know that he paid a price for us to be in him. And therefore, we should honor that. How? By agreeing with it and believing it. And then he goes on to say, and washed our bodies washed with pure water. And once again, this go back, goes back to the Old Testament sacrifices when the priests had to be in pure water and cleanse things with pure water before they could actually go before the Lord and before the throne and before they can go to the holy place or the, um, of course, holy of all had to be the high priest, but they had to do these ceremonial cleansings of their clothing and everything else. Thank God we wouldn't have to go through anything like that in the new covenant, but they were washed in pure water. Why? It is a cleansing process. To approach God, they had to perform their services by being clean in every way. And that's telling us just like this. In water baptism, what do we do? We say the old man is dead and the new man is alive. So in other words, we are putting to death. We're crucifying all the lusts of the flesh. He is saying this. Wash your body in the pure water of the word before you go to the throne of God. In other words, live a life of obedience. And if you've missed the mark, confess it. He'll cleanse you from the unrighteousness. But live a life of obedience. Crucify your flesh and get before the throne of God and honor him, love him. Let him know that you're living for him. So as we wash ourselves in the water of the word, we are now prepared to do what? Ask. Ask whatever it is that we want from God. Whatever it is that we might need God for do, to do for us, now you're in a position to ask. So... There you are. You're before the throne with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Your heart's been sprinkled from an evil conscience. There's no guilt. And your body's washed in pure water. Your position right now, like Naaman was when he came up out of the 
River Jordan at the seventh time, perfectly cleansed and now perfectly whole. And there you are positioning yourself before the throne of God. And what are you going to do? You're going to ask your father something. And you have a right to be there and a right to do it. And you did exactly what he said to do. True heart, full assurance of faith, heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, and my body washed in pure water. Now, Father, I'm asking you to do something for me. And look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. I'm asking you to help me. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to heal me. I'm asking you to provide for a need. I'm asking you to find me a job. I'm asking you to find me a mate. Whatever it is, there you are before the throne of grace. You want to attain mercy and find grace to help in your life in your time of need. And once you ask him... Let us hold fast the profession or confession of our faith without wavering. And here it is, for he is faithful that promised. Praise God. God is faithful to make good on every promise he has ever made. Did he promise to meet your need? He'll do it. Did he promise to strengthen you? He'll do it. Did he promise to be with you in the fire? He'll be there. Did he promise that the floods will not drown, cause you to drown because he's there? He'll be there. So this is so important that we recognize and we realize to do things God's way, not our way. Naaman had a second chance, didn't he? He could have walked away forever and never gone to the leprosy for the rest of his life. And people would have blamed God then. God didn't do it. No, it wasn't that God didn't want to do it. Naaman walked away from it. Naaman didn't do his part. And this is what's so important for us all to know. God says, according to James... If you ask for anything, ask in faith without wavering. Because if you waver, you're like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed, and don't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Receive, not give, but receive. Because every good and perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights. There's no variables, neither shadow of turning. The Bible says in Psalm 84 and verse 11, Our God's a sun and shield who gives grace and glory, and no good thing does He withhold from anyone who walks uprightly so Walking in faith is walking uprightly. Walking in faith is what pleases God. We grab a hold of what belongs to us by faith. We fight the good fight of faith. And this is how faith works. Your faith is in the finished work of Christ. Your faith is in the performance of Jesus. Your faith is in the shed blood and all that it has provided for us. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Your faith is in the fact that you've been cleansed from all uncleanness, all unrighteousness, and you're perfect in the sight of God. Boy. There's no guilt, no condemnation, no sin consciousness, no inferiority. And now there you are at the throne. And what are you going to do? Here I am, Father. I need some help. I need wisdom to deal with the situation. I need healing for my body. And so here I am. I present myself to you because of Jesus, my, my representation, my high priest. And I'm asking you to deliver me, help me, make me whole, whatever it might be. That's how we do it. That's how we receive from God. That's the approach that we're to have when we come to the throne to receive something. And what does that do? It really helps me understand that I'm not following somebody else. You know, we need to spend more time in our fellowship with God to hear what he wants us to do. Whatever it is. I remember one time he told me to sell. I'm sorry. He told me to buy an organ a big theater organ when I was downsizing to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma with my family. I was downsizing, not upsizing. But he said, just go ahead and buy that organ. And I knew it was the Lord. And I thought, this is absolutely irrational. It's illogical. 
But I did it because I knew his voice. So I took the thing with me to Tulsa, Oklahoma. While I was there, we had a child. Of course, I had to give up all my hospitalization when I left my job and all that. So I'd had no hospitalization whatsoever. So baby was born. We had a hospital bill down there. And I was getting ready to leave school. I didn't want to have a hospital bill when I left. I said to the Lord, Lord, you brought me here to go to school. And I went to school and we're about getting ready to go. And I've got this hospital bill. What am I to do? I don't want to leave here. Before I left to come here, I took care of my bills. You know I'm working part-time, and you know I don't have anything left. And he spoke to me so, so, so softly. Sell the organ. And I thought, oh, okay. So I put it into paper, penny saver. And one day that it was in there, some grandmother came over to my apartment, looked at it, and said, I want it. And I was surprised. Full, full amount, exactly what we asked for. I thought, wow, this is amazing. Well, once she wrote out the check and handed it to me, now she doesn't know this happened. On the inside of me, the Lord said, now pay off your hospital bill. Wow. Amazing. God wants to set things up like that for us all the time if we listen to him. Now, am I always 100% that way listening? I wish it would be nice if we could. But my point is, having intimacy with God, doing what he tells us to do, is what faith is all about. He told me to do that. I didn't do it. Now, someone else can't go do that because I did it. You do it because God told you to do it. That's how faith works. That's how we receive from God. I paid the hospital bill. We came back home debt-free. It was a wonderful feeling to be able to do that. Well, praise God, I pray this has blessed you and helped you in your walk of faith to teach you how to receive from God because we all need instruction in doing so so we can experience all the blessings that God has provided for us in Christ. Praise God. Amen.